The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Pray with me. For all those who walk this morning to the loneliness of bereavement, the empty bed or chair, and accustomed quietness, a life now incomplete. May they know your presence, Lord, in the stillness of the day, and through the love of friends who offer their condolence. And in the darker moments, may they reach out to hold your hand and feel the warmth of the one who has already passed from death to life to welcome others into God's kingdom. God of love and mercy, embrace all those whose hearts today overflow with grief, unanswered questions, and such a sense of loss. Grant them space to experience, express their fears, hold them close through the coming days. We pray for all those whose lives have been touched by tragedy, whether by accident or deliberate act. For those who mourn, immerse them in your love and lead them through this darkness into your arms and light. For those who comfort, be in both the words they use and all that's left unspoken. Fill each heart with love. We ask this through Jesus Christ, whose own suffering brought us life here and for eternity. So we pray for our church family. We pray for the Frederick family as we just go through uh, this dark time of uh, grieving our pastor, our father, our brother, or elder. We just pray that you will surround us with your arms of love. Comfort those. We pray for this morning, and we pray for the prayer of confession uh, Joel just offered, Jesus. Thank you that even with our brokenness, we can approach your throne, because you are always willing and eager to forgive us when we come to you in humility. And so thank you for the forgiveness that you grant to us. And as we dig into your word this morning, we pray for your Holy Spirit to convict our heart to speak to us. And we also pray that the words we hear this morning, that we will not just be hearers of the words, but doers of it. Thank you for this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Refuge Church. It's been a hard week for a lot of us, and I can't even imagine what the uh, Frederick family are going through now. And so we pray that, and I encourage you as a church family, that you continue giving them the space uh, that they need, but at the same time, keep them in your prayers and your love and support them in, in any way 
possible. And so we will be continuing our series uh, talking to God this morning. And we'll be looking at Daniel uh, chapter 6. The title of my sermon this morning is Defined Prayer. And our intro so far has been, Lord, teach us to pray. This request from Jesus' disciples not only reveals their personal desire, but offers a lasting impression of Jesus' life and ministry. Jesus' life, the perfect life, was a praying life. The intimacy and understanding between Jesus and the Father is available to every person who desires to know God today. Lord, teach us how to pray. Daniel chapter 6 is probably a story that most of us are familiar with. Right? We grew up in Sunday school uh, hearing the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And so that's the story that uh, we'll be looking at today. Right? Like, lions are my favorite animals. I don't know why. I think it's probably because they're scary. And I remember the first time I saw a lion in Denver. Just because I'm Nigerian doesn't mean I see lions everywhere at home. Okay, So let's make that clear. The first time I saw a lion in my life was in the United States. Like most of you guys. Ta-da. And I was just, man, I was just mesmerized by just how beautiful they are, how strong and scary they are. And imagine being in the presence of one, right? And so I broke uh, Daniel chapter 6 in four parts. And in the first part, we see the decree of King Darius. And so uh, we can read uh, Daniel Uh, chapter 6, starting from verse 1 to verse 9, which is the first part that I want to look at with you guys this morning. So starting in verse 1, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, this man said, we will never find any basis of charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king shall issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to a God or man during the next 30 days, except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put in the writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put 
the decree into writing. What a wonderful story to read your kid before they go to bed. <laughs> and so we, we are introduced to Daniel, right? And so in verses 1 to 9, we are told that Daniel begins in a state of prosperity. The king, Daniel, the king Darius has appointed Daniel to be an administrator over 120 satraps that he has chosen to lead in his kingdom. And so, but Daniel was so good as, at what he does that he distinguished himself by virtue of his excellence to the point that the king planned to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. This is a big deal. And why is this a big deal? Because Daniel is a foreigner. Daniel is Jewish. How do we know this? Let me give a little bit of intro about Daniel. After Israel was uh, finally destroyed by uh, the Babylonians, you know, Jerusalem was besieged. The exiles who were in Babylon, the King Nebuchadnezzar chose noblemen from Israel's uh, household to train them in the Babylonian ways. And after three years of training, they were to be put into the king's service. And you can find this in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel, whose name means God is my judge, and his three countrymen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, who we know from Daniel chapter 3, were chosen and given new names. But Daniel and his uh, compatriots proved to be the wisest trainees. And at the end of their training, they entered the king's service. So in the second year, of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, he had a dream which troubled him. And beyond interpretation, he commanded all his magicians, all his sorcerers, to tell him what the dream was, to interpret the dream for him. But he didn't tell them what the dream was about. And these men were unwilling to interpret the dream because the king didn't tell them what the dream was. And so it was impossible for them to interpret the dream. However, after Daniel sought God in prayers, the mystery of the king's dream was revealed to Daniel and he was able to interpret the king's dream. And we can find that in Daniel chapter 2, verse 28. And after Daniel did that, he found favor with the king. And then the king Nebuchadnezzar dies and his son Belshazzar becomes king. And during one, of the bank, during one of the king's banquet, he ordered the gold and silver that had been taken from God's temple in Jerusalem to be used. And so they were drinking from sacred stuff from the temple that, was, that belonged to God. And in response to this defilement of such holy items, Belshazzar sees a writing on the wall. His astrologers were unable to assist him in his translation. And so Daniel is called upon to interpret what the writing means. And as a reward for interpreting the writing, Daniel is promoted by the king Belshazzar to be the, high, the third highest, to hold the third highest position 
in Babylon. And that night, as Daniel prophesies, the king was slain in battle, and his kingdom was taken over by the Persians. And Darius the Mede was the king. And so that's the king that Daniel is serving right now. And so we see that Daniel found favor with two kings. And the third king, Daniel, also finds favor with him. And so this foreigners, this Jewish guy, finds favor with all these kings. And that's why it didn't go well with his colleagues. And under the new ruler, we're told in these verses that Daniel excelled in his duties to the point that the king was thinking of making him in charge of the entire kingdom. But Daniel's peers were very provoked and envious because his reputation is beginning to exceed theirs. And so we see jealousy. And so they envied Daniel so much that they plotted a scheme to tarnish his reputation in the eyes of the king. But there was a problem. In verse 4, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were not able to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Daniel was such a faithful man that those who looked for a floor in his actions or his character came up empty. Isn't that wonderful? Just think of our politicians today or even some uh, religious leaders. If someone was to dig into their past, can you imagine the things that will be uncovered. And yet, we have someone like Daniel, who, these guys who hated him, and I'm sure they did their best to dig into his past to find all the dirt that they can find. And with all their searching, they couldn't find one thing about Daniel. So what will your neighbors and your colleagues, your friends, or even your spouse say about your character. If someone was to dig into your past to find dirt, will they find something? Will they not? We have a great example here of Daniel. And why was Daniel the way he the way he is because he was a faithful man. And so since Daniel's character could not be attacked, the conspirators, his colleagues, then hoped to exploit in his loyalty to God and to bring charges against him. Isn't that awesome? It's like, you're just too good, but the thing you love the most is what we will use against you. Amen to that. Like, I want to be like Daniel. Thus they contrive a law which they know will cause a conflict between Daniel's loyalty to his God. And the decree was, in 30 days, no one will serve 
any god except the king. Furthermore, they will not be satisfied with slander or litigation, but attempt to use these tools for homicide. The law carries a penalty of death in the lion's den. Daniel is to be removed entirely. This is what his colleagues want for him. But ironically, their scheme depends precisely upon Daniel's demonstration of the virtuous character that they seek to undermine by their envious conspiracy. That is, they count on Daniel's continued loyalty to his God, which is an exercise in the virtue of righteousness. And they were not disappointed. Because in part two of this passage, starting from verse 10 to 15, Daniel did what he always did. And so go to verse 10 to 15 with me. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. Then this man went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. When the men went as a group to the king and said, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. And so as expected, as the people expected, Daniel chooses to remain loyal to his God and continues his demonstration of piety. Daniel knew about the king's decree and the consequences, but that did not stop him from praying three times a day towards the temple in Jerusalem as his custom was. You may be wondering, why did Daniel pray with his window open? What he, was he trying to invite trouble? Was he trying to say, hey, look at me. I'm going to do whatever I want anyway. Well, Daniel's custom, even before the decree, was he always prayed with his window open, right? And so Daniel wasn't doing that as a sign of resistance. But also, and more importantly, Daniel was praying according to scriptures. Because in 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon asked God to give special notice to the prayer of his people when they prayed towards Jerusalem and the temple. And, so, and Solomon says, And you may hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place, right? And so the upper room that Daniel prayed and when the, and when the op windows opened, was facing towards Israel. And so he wasn't praying 
as a form of resistance. He was just doing what he always did. And so they found Daniel praying, which was probably no surprise to them. And they were very happy about it to take the news to the king. And in verse 13, they said, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you or to the decree you put in writing. They reminded the king that Daniel is one of the exiles from Judah. Right? And so, first, the conspirators label him not only a disloyal conformist, but also an exile from Judah. That is, Daniel is not a true worthy citizen of this kingdom at all. And so they recall Daniel's past and his condition as an exile from Judah, thereby suggesting that Daniel is still tainted by his outsider status. This label of foreign outsider, exile, both explains Daniel's present rule-breaking action and intensifies the perception of him and, and his actions as dangerous and threatening to the tradition of the king and the conspirators. Secondly, they accuse Daniel of disobeying the king and the Lord. And so if you were in Daniel's situation, what would you have done? Because as Christians, we are called to be the most law-abiding citizen, right? Obey your rulers, obey those in charge of you. But what if those laws interfere with the laws of God? What do we do? Do we then continue to submit to our leaders? Or do we submit to the law of God? I don't think that should be a hard question for most of us. Because the law of God should always supersede the law of humans. And here's a side note. Daniel's prayers did not harm anyone. Right? And, and I think during, uh, you know, during the pandemic when things closed, you know, and we had all this, you know, like we can come to church to worship, you know, we can sing, and especially the singing part. That, that was a hard one for me, right? Because I was like, I'm going to sing. As long as I'm wearing my mask and I'm not close to anyone, as long as I'm not being a danger to anyone around me. I will sing to praise God. That's okay with that. But, you know, there were also Christians who used the opportunity to defile, you know, the government. Because they're like, yeah, God, I'm always going to follow God's law. Even when that law put others in danger. Like, if you came to church and you didn't have your mask and you had no regard for brothers and sisters in the church. I don't think that's following God's law. Because God's law is love God with all of your heart 
and love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so we are to always follow God's law if it doesn't endanger anyone. And that's what Daniel was doing. His prayers didn't put anyone in danger. And therefore, he chose God above the king, even though he knew what the consequences were. And what was the consequence? Starting in verse 16 to 24, so the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to save you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels, and he shut them out of the lions. They have not heard me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found in him because he had trusted God. He had trusted in his God. So, this, so Daniel's colleague succeeded in securing his condemnation. The casting of Daniel into the lion's den is an attempt to complete the deviant process which will result in the complete change in status of Daniel. Because if Daniel is thrown in the lion's den, he will go from a powerful ruler to a convicted criminal, from honorable aristocrat to a deviant exile, and from living to dead. And that was what they wanted. But before Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, this is what the king said, your God whom you continually serve will deliver you. This is a pagan king. This is a king that probably worshipped many gods, and yet he made that proclamation. Because Darius had faith and it was faith born out of Daniel's trust in the Lord. The idea was, I tried my best to save you, Daniel, but I failed. Now it is up to your God to save you. But I think I have a good idea that your God will be able to save you because of how you worship him. And so the king acknowledges that the God Daniel continually serves is alive the living God you serve, unlike the gods of the Medes and the Persians. And since he is alive, that God will surely be able to deliver Daniel from the lions. And so the king had faith in Daniel's God because of Daniel's faithfulness to God. 
the king had faith in Daniel's God because of Daniel's faithfulness to God. So do people outside the church proclaim God's goodness and faithfulness because of our faithfulness, or is it the other way? Do people outside the church proclaim God's goodness and faithfulness because of the faithfulness they see in us of how we love and worship God, or is it the other way? Contemplate on that question. But what happened? Daniel responded with, My God sent his angels to shut the lion's mouth. We're told that the king couldn't sleep at night. He didn't even want his usual entertainment. And early in the morning, he rushed to the lion's den. Daniel, did your God save you? Daniel said, My God sent his angels to shut the lion's mouth. We do not know if Daniel saw an angel or not, but he certainly knew that God sent his angels to rescue him. Because in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation. God sent an angel to serve Daniel's need. And even in the Bible, we read, Many stories of angels, you know, coming to serve people in their needs all the time. And, and I'm sure if someone here probably has a story of some divine intervention where you think it was an angel that did something, right? And I was on Google and I found this story. Let, let me read this story uh, to you guys. And this is a true story too. Like most little boys, JT wanted to help his dad, Stephen. So when Stephen and JT, JT's 17-year-old brother, Mason, went out to do some maintenance work on a car at their Idaho home, JT was right by their side. It took, it took Stephen and Mason working together to manage to get the car up on the car jack. Then Stephen slipped underneath and started removing the axles. Mason accidentally cut his hand, so he went inside to tend to the wound. And as Stephen went to take off the second axle, disaster struck. The car fell right on top of Stephen, pinning him underneath. The weight of the car was crushing Stephen, and he struggled to breathe. I couldn't move at all, Stephen remembers. I was, I was totally trapped, and then I passed out. It was all in his hands. I thought, this is it. There is no way he can jack up this car, because it took my 17-year-old son and I both to jack it up the first time. Time was of essence, and JT, who was seven years old, knew it was up to him to save his dad, but at just 50 pounds, how could he ever manage to jack a car back up? The terrified boy jumped up and down on the jack. 
At first, nothing happened. It was scary, and I didn't think I could jack the car up. But I just kept on trying, JT said. Eventually, the car started slowly rising up. With it high enough of Steven, JT dashed inside and got his brother to call for help. All I remember is I felt peace, Steven said. I remember seeing white like a nice happy day. The clouds were going by and everything was happy and peaceful. Steven's condition was so critical, so a helicopter airlifted him to the hospital. There it became clear that guardian angels were certainly with the family that day. While Steven had 13 broken ribs, he had no internal damage. It was just a miracle, Steven said. Steven was able to go home just two days later. Once, once things settled down, they asked JT to try jacking up the car again. Though he tried and tried, the little boy was never once able to do it again. And whenever anyone asked him how he found the strength to free his dad that day, he gives the same answer. The little boy credits the angels. That's a wonderful story. And thank God for angels. You know, I, my, my, my mom, I don't know if she's the meanest or the, I don't know. She always told me, Ibrahim, you have two angels following you everywhere you go. There's the good one and the bad one, right? Anytime you do something or you need something, God's angel is always there trying to protect you. And anytime you mess up, the other angel is right there to right all your mistakes. So I was always watching for angels behind my back, but I never saw one. But angels live amongst us. And I'm sure one of you probably has a story like that of where you thought that had to be God. That had to be a divine intervention. That had to be God's angel trying to protect us do something for us. And so God's angels shut the lion's mouth, Daniel said. But Daniel's faith is what saved him. Though his cause for was righteous and he was unjustly accused, those things did not protect him from the lions. Daniel needed a living and abiding faith even in the most difficult circumstances. And so God was faithful to Daniel because Daniel was faithful to God. And then what was the faith of those who plotted against Daniel? Starting in verse 24, at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, 
people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Here's another proclamation. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Verse 28. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and during the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. The king gave the order. He commanded that Daniel's conspirators and their families be thrown into the lion's den. This was obviously severe, but it was according to their laws. Because the laws among them were formidable, by which on account of the guilt of one, all the kindred perish. I, we, we read stories, uh, especially in Judges or in the book of Joshua, where you know, one person commits a sin and God destroys the entire family. And we have a problem with that. That was the law back then. It wasn't just the Israelites who practiced that. Here we see the Medes and the Persian practice that. Right? Those men, those conspirators, they perished with their family. That was justice back then. And that was, what, that was how it was. Even though we would probably think it was unjust. But one thing we know for sure is that God is true and just. Right? We, we live in a society where there are men in death penalty who haven't even committed that crime. And so who are we to judge people back then? And who are we to judge God for saying, oh, why did, judging, why did God include their family even though they weren't part of it? How do you know they weren't part of it? And if you were doubting and if you're a skeptic here who will say, no, Daniel was never in the lion's den. How did he survive a lion? Well, what did the lions do to those people and their family? It said the lions overpowered them before they ever came to the bottom of the den. These were real lions. Right? For skeptics who read stories like that in the Bible, they just think, oh, it's a joke. But this thing happened. And that's why it is in Scripture for us to read. Because the lions overpowered and devoured the conspirators. Because God will cause our enemy to be impaled on the same trap they set on us. This is David in Psalms chapter 7. Was 14 to 16. I think we call that karma today. And after that was all done, Darius issues a decree. And in his decree, he acknowledges God as he is the living God for the second time. And he repeats, he endures forever and his kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion will never end. Because of Daniel's story, 
a pagan king, was able to see how powerful Daniel's God to the point that he issued a decree and said, you need to worship this God because this is the real deal. He is alive. He saved Daniel from the lions then. And I'm sure that was the first time that that happened back then. And it was a big deal. And therefore, if Daniel's God can save him from the lions then, he is the God that we should be serving. And so in closing, I want to end with 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 8, starting in verse 8 to 17. And the title of this verse is, is Suffering for Doing Good. And I think this is a really good connection to the story of Daniel and to what Peter is saying here. And so 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Finally, all of you, all of us, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you are called, so that you may inherit a blessing. 10. For whoever will love life and see his good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord always. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak malicious against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? Do good. It doesn't matter what people say. That is the charge here. Like Daniel. He did good. And they couldn't find anything. And even if God didn't choose to rescue Daniel from the lion's den that day, it wouldn't have mattered like Peter was saying. Because they never found anything to excuse, uh, accuse Daniel except his love for God. So let's be people Let's be Christians. Let's be brothers and sisters who, no matter how hard people dig into our past, they won't find anything to accuse us. All they will accuse us of is our love for each other, our love for God, and our holiness. Be holy, for I am holy. And thank God for stories like this in the Bible. And thank God for examples out there that we have modern day examples. I was thinking of Dave as I was uh, prepping this sermon. 
And just thinking of the wonderful legacy that he has left and his gentle spirit, I'm like, I want that. I'm not saying Dave was a perfect man, but he was a special man. He was a good man. In, I mean, Dave will probably tell you I'm not a good man because he was humble. But I can say that he was one of the examples for us to look at of what a good character is, of someone whom, regardless of what you dig, you won't be able to tarnish their character. Just like Jesus, they couldn't find anything to accuse him. And because they hated him so much, they just had to crucify him. But thank God, because it was through his death and his resurrection that we have life. And now that we have that life, he calls us to live that life in the fullest and to bear fruit so that when people outside the church see our life, they will see the gospel in us. And through our lives, we will be able to bring more people into the church. And that is why we take communion every Sunday to remember Jesus' perfect life his holy life, and the life that he gave up for us, even though he didn't have to, even though he wasn't guilty of any sin, and yet he chose to lay down his life for us. And on the night before his death, he gathered with his disciples and broke bread with them and said, this is my body, that I will break for you. And when you eat this bread, eat this and remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine and said, this is my blood that I will shed for you. When you drink this, remember that you are bought at a price. That my blood is what saves you. And so I will pray and we will eat communion at the back. And before you eat communion, examine your heart. Are you in right standing with God? And so take a few moments. Ask for forgiveness. If your heart has been convicted this morning, that's a good thing. Let God talk to you. And so pray with me. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Daniel, a man who was found blameless. And thank you for living the examples of Daniels that we have today, people that we can look at their life and want to imitate. And so we pray, Lord, with the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will help us to live the life that you've called us to live so that people outside the church will have nothing to accuse us.
Help us to love each other the way we're called to love. Thank you for this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.